Uh, today is a special day. Not, not that uh, every Sunday is not special. It is, but today's a special day. So let me just kind of give you a lay of the land as to what we're going to look at today. So uh, normally we teach in series. So last week we finished our series, I Love My Church, and, and we found out just some great ways how we are the church and why we love the church. Today uh, we're doing a standalone message because in Christendom, today is what's called All Saints Sunday. It's the, the first Sunday of November. It's always on the calendar for that. And it's the Sunday where we recognize those who have died, who have been a part of our church family uh, who have died since last All Saints, so a year ago. So today we're going to be lighting some candles. We're going to be in, in, uh, reminding ourselves of our beloved ones. Some of you that are in the building today, you're here to honor your loved one. It's good to have you uh, with us. Uh, next week, we start a new series on Moses, the life of Moses, just a couple of weeks on that. Um, and there goes my phone. Like, are, are, you really, are you really down? So, um, so anyway, so a lot's going to happen with this Moses series, too. And we learn from Moses what it means to, to engage in relationships with others and with God. So it's a, it's, a, uh, um, it's a series that I really want to encourage you to be a part of, and I think you'll learn some things about the life of Moses that you didn't learn before, but things that are applicable to your life today. And then after that, we start our Advent Christmas series. How many, how many are ready for Christmas to come, right? A uh, couple of you. I, I'm ready for Christmas, and, and uh, this year we, we were praying about our series for Christmas, and we came up with the title, um, Hope is Born. And there's so many theological um, answers to that, but we thought, you know, we really need to talk about hope because, uh, listen, we've been living in some crazy times. you agree with that? Some might say crazy. You're not calling me crazy, but the times are crazy. So, so uh, it, it, we've been living in crazy times. So we need some hope. We need hope, and, and hope is born, and, and, and that rebirth of Christ in us. So uh, I, I want to encourage you to invite your friends, your family, uh, your neighbors, whether you're worshiping online or whether you're worshiping in the building. This is a great season uh, to be a part of the life of God. Um, let, me, uh, let me just go ahead and, and transition into today. So we're, today we're going to talk about um, uh, what does it mean um, to, uh, what does it mean during death? What does it mean after death? What does it mean for us who remain? So, so today we're going to talk about what is to come. And I want to uh, just put that out there as we talk about the important things that are to come. So there's two things in life that we're told that we can better going to always happen. What are those two things? Death and taxes, right? So April 15th rolls around, and a lot of us, we were like, ah, April 15th, got to write another check to the IRS, or somebody, some folks are, are grateful they get, they get refunds. But, but we know every April on the 15th, there's a deadline date. And we know that no matter what, no matter what year we're in, no matter what's happening in the world, what's happening in life, that taxes have to be paid. But the thing about death, though, is death, death doesn't come that way. Death is never something that is like scheduled. Uh, it's like we don't know the exact time, the exact moment, the exact second, the exact day. You know, my Fitbit didn't go off earlier today saying, today's the day you're going to die. I checked my social media before the internet went down in the area, and, and nowhere on my social media did it say, Bob, today's the day you're going to die. Um, so so we, we don't really know when that's going to happen. In fact, it's a mystery. Um, the only thing we know is the scriptures tell us that, that our life is like the width of our palm of our hand. So what that means is that our time on earth is limited, and we don't know the time, we don't know the date, but we know that ultimately that's going to happen. Um, a couple of months ago, Patty and I went to see our attorney. We've got some paperwork in order because we're trying to do some downstreaming for, for life whenever things happen and come. And when we were finished, he looked at us, he said, now you both are ready to die. I didn't know how to take that. I was kind of like, okay, that's an interesting concept. But the grave, the grave unearths our view of God. 
And depending upon uh, what's going on in your life at the moment, if you've experienced death of a loved one, if you have experienced death of a friend, um, if you have experienced death in any kind of capacity, it, it unearths our relationship with God. When we face death, our definition of God is challenged. We, we go into question mode. So, so sometimes when, when someone is sick and someone's dying, uh, many of us will pray a prayer. Lord, save them. Lord, don't let them die. Lord, Lord whatever it takes. And we, we pray those prayers. And, and we pray those prayers in the hopes that God will somehow intervene and that God will somehow change the circumstance. And when, when God doesn't normally do that, we get upset and we get angry. So our relationship with God changes in, in moments of struggling with death. So the grave unearths our, our view of God. So when we, when we face death, it challenges our faith. Uh, as I talk with people, and I've talked with people through the years, you've talked with people, um, it's notorious for people to say, I'm a Christian, I've accepted Christ, I'm ready to die, but just not today. Or somebody will say, you know, yeah, I accepted Jesus as my Savior. I know I'm going to be with the Lord. I know I'm going to go to heaven. But I just don't want him to call my number this, this too soon. And, and so we kind of mess around with that. And, and we're not really sure how we want to deal with the concept of death. But sometimes we think, as a result, when, when God doesn't answer our prayers of healing, it creates emotions in us. It creates resentment. It creates anger. It, it creates um, lostness. It creates uh, things that, that kind of make us start thinking about our own mortality. If you've, if you've had a loved one die, um, your, your whole emotions goes into their death. And then sometime after death, you start thinking about, oh, this is going to happen to me one day. And our mortality comes to be. Um, sometimes we object to death. I object that death has come and that death has robbed me. And we find ourselves kind of like Mary, the, the sister of Lazarus. She, she, her brother was sick. She sent word off to Jesus, and she called Jesus to come and to be and to make her sick brother well. And the story tells us that, that Jesus, we don't really know why he was delayed. You know, maybe he, I, I, who knows, we can insert he was doing this, or he bought a lottery ticket and had to go check on it. I don't know. why. We don't know why Jesus was late. We just know that what should have been a short distance trip for him to get where he was, to where Mary was, to see Lazarus, and to do some kind of healing. It shouldn't have taken much time at all, but it took a couple of days. In fact, the, 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 the scriptures in the King James translation say, by the time Jesus arrived, so much time had gone by that Lazarus' body stinketh. So we know that death had come. And so, so sometimes we're like Mary, and we, we cry out, you know, God, if you could have just been here, you could have saved my mother, you could have saved my father, you could have saved my son, my child, my daughter, whatever. And we, we go into kind of that part that, that maybe God hasn't done his part, and, and that relationship with God changes because of death. Uh, one of our many trips to St. Augustine, uh, Patty and I found ourselves on St. George Street. Anybody been to St. Augustine? Uh, St. George Street, lots of shops there, you know, the candy kitchen and the chocolate place, you can see where I spend my time. But, but so we walked into a magic store one time. Anybody been in the magic store on St. George's Street? It's a great shop. And we walked in, and we were, we were the only ones in there. And, and I, I love magic. I, you know, I, every now and then I buy a little magic trick, and I always mess it up. But I try my best. And, and um, so he's doing this kind of this sleight of hand thing where he's got a coin, and he does this, and the coin disappears, and he does this, and it reappears. And I know he's palming it. I just know he's palming it. Because, you know, magic, there's, there's always an answer. There's always a secret. There's, there's something behind it. It's not real. And, 
and all of a sudden, you know, we were, we were kind of sitting there, and he's doing this, you know, coin thing, and then more people start coming in the shop. Then he does this trick where he takes a deck of cards, and he hands it to him, and he says, check out this deck and make sure that I haven't opened it. Well, it had a seal on it, and hey, it looked real, and so he breaks the seal, and he spreads the cards out on the table, and he says, I want you to pick a card, and don't show it to me. And he said, now I want you to show everybody else. Don't show it to me. So I pick up the card, and I'm showing everybody else. He says, now put it back in the deck. Put it back in the deck. He messes the cards up, picks them in a pile. Then he does the 52-card pickup. Anybody know that game? You take the cards, he goes, and they go all in the air, and every card falls to the ground except one. The card I had picked is like hovering right there. It's just kind of like, and he's moving around, and he's kind of doing his hands over, and it's just kind of moving around. And I'm going like, there's got to be something with that. And people were like mesmerized, and they're watching this thing. And then it dawned on me, this guy's duping people. And then I started thinking, how many people think the resurrection isn't real? How many people think the resurrection is just an old magician's trick, just like what this guy's doing? And I, and I thought about that as we began our journey uh, through the rest of St. Augustine. Well, the scriptures have a lot to say about resurrection. If you were to look in your Bible concordance, you could look up the word resurrection, resurrect, resurrected, resurrecting, and you would see, you know, many, many, many references to resurrection. And you could take a look at all those things going there. Paul, uh, the great apostle, remember Paul was, was the Jewish guy, uh, Paul, but he was also the Roman citizen, Saul, or, or Roman citizen Paul, and Jewish guy Saul. Okay, I'll get it right in a second. So they're all the same guy. He just kind of, depending upon you know, what was going on, he would, he would look at the various names of what he would use. His encounter with Jesus changed his life. And he knew that in order to preach to the Gentiles, he would have to assume a gen, his Gentile name, which was Paul. Because nobody would listen to him if his name was Saul, the Jewish guy. So, so he uses the name, his name Paul. And, and he begins this ministry. Remember, he was the most hated person of Christianity. When, when, when the disciples were running, he was leading the charge, and he was doing his best. In fact, he was on the road to Damascus on a mission to go bring charges against Christians or followers of Jesus with the intention of inciting so much badness that, that people would just want to kill those people, and then he would move on to the next thing. So this guy has a vision of Jesus on the road to Damascus, where Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? And all of a sudden, his relationship changes, and he's now a believer. So the worst enemy becomes the greatest proponent of what he originally hated. And this is an encounter. So Paul says something of very importance when he's talking about resurrection, because early on, People did not believe in resurrection. The Sadducees did not believe in resurrection. Nobody believed that, that the dead would rise, per se, in the way in which Christianity was teaching it. And Paul writes this. He says, the first thing I did was place before you what was placed before me emphatically, that the Messiah died for our sins exactly as the Scripture tells it. So he's saying the Scripture is true. What you see written in the scriptures is absolutely true, and I'm here to verify that. That he was buried, that Jesus was buried, that Jesus was raised from the dead on the third day, again, exactly as the scripture says. That he presented himself alive to Peter, then to his closest followers, and later more to more than 500 of his followers, all at the same time, most of them still around, although a few have died since. 
that Jesus spent time with James and the rest of those that he commissioned to represent him and that he finally presented himself alive to me. That's the Damascus experience. So Paul is saying everything you read in the scriptures, all the references, all the things that you're hearing are true. And over 500 people that live in your neighborhoods, just go ask them because they saw Jesus. Resurrection is real. Now listen, if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. I have yet to meet any person willing to die for a lie. Most people, if given the choice, if you just change your story, your circumstance will change. Ask kids, okay, ask the kids that. If you just change your story, your circumstance will change. And not one of the apostles ever renounced the, the um, truth of Jesus. They went to violent deaths except for John. They went to violent deaths proclaiming what they knew to be truth. Again, I've yet to meet anybody willing to die for a lie. But people will die for truth. As, a thumb, as we thumb through the scriptures, uh, there's so much reassurance. There's so many references about Jesus and resurrection. Jesus is speaking in Luke 20. They can no longer die. He says that, that, that when you are in Christ, when you are in right relationship, when you are with God and you believe that Jesus is Savior, in those instances, you cannot die. Yes, your flesh can die. Yes, that can, that can happen, but you and the creation of what God, because God has created you in God's image and given you something, something that's special. We call it a soul, a spirit, something that is unique in the Imago Dei, the image of God that is placed in every one of us. And Jesus says that you can no longer die. You're like the angels. You are God's children since you are the children of the resurrection. Let's go back to Martha. Martha is ticked at Jesus. Where were you? Why weren't you here? You could have saved my brother. And Jesus looks at her and he says, Martha, I'm the resurrection and I'm the life that whoever believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives and believes in me, guess what, Martha? They'll never die. You know, that, that is the liturgy that we use as clergy when we officiate a memorial service. When we officiate a funeral, Jesus said, I am resurrection and I am life. That whoever believes in me, even though they die, yet shall they live. And so Jesus proclaims this truth. So, so what kind of God says those kinds of words? It's the kind of God you want at your funeral service. Because resurrection is real. And God says resurrection is real. But what does it say about what happens in resurrection? A lot of images in Scripture, depending upon generations, you've come up with an understanding of what resurrection is or resurrection day. And, and some, some people believe that, that when we die, we just stay trapped in the ground or in our columbarium where our ashes are until a horn is blown, and that everybody arises at one time. Some people believe that. So what happens when mitral cardiac infarction, which is what kills us all, that means your heart stops beating, we all die of that, what happens when that occurs? Where do we go? What do we do? What's there? You see, I, I think if we go to Luke's gospel, 
chapter 23 specifically. If you were to ask me, Pastor Bob, what is your theology of resurrection, I would lead you to Luke 23. Now, you might believe something differently. I'm telling you what I stand for, what, what I believe. And I believe this is where we answer those questions. In Luke 23, what happens after death? Jesus is on the cross. There are two thieves beside him. Crucifixion is taking its toll. He will ultimately die by suffocation. That's what crucifixion did. It stretches by gravity uh, to where the diaphragm can no longer constrict and expand. You suffocate, you die. And Jesus is on the cross, and he's, he's there with these two thieves who have committed crimes, who have been crucified to die as Jesus has been crucified to die. And listen to the conversation that happens in Luke 23. One of the criminals hanging alongside Jesus curses him. Some Messiah you are. Save yourself. Save us. But the other one made him shut up. I love how the message uses that language. Made him shut up. Shut up. Have you no fear of God? You're getting the same as him. We deserve this, but not him. He did nothing. Jesus did nothing to deserve the death he's getting, but we did. Now, now listen to this. Then the criminal or the thief said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, what? Don't worry, I will. Today you'll be with me in paradise. You know, when I'm, when I'm at, um, in those real holy moments, okay? Those really holy moments when I'm walking with someone who's on their journey home to heaven. Sometimes they're, they're, they're not lucid, the body's just kind of existing until it's done. Other times, they're there, they're, they're talking, they're aware. And I know in those holy moments, there have been those occasions. There's one occasion I remember where, where a gentleman was in his final legs, he was in his final, final moments, and he was knowing he was breathing his last, and, and he uttered out very simply, but very, very, very quietly, he just said, is there more? What comes next? I'm afraid. What now? And you know, and I think about Jesus' words to that thief. Don't worry. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Now think about that. When we're taking our final breath, Jesus' words are, don't worry. Don't wrestle with this anymore. Just trust. Trust in me. Because what I'm going to do is, is real. And Jesus says the answer to the question, what happens after death? So remember all those thoughts of, of we go on the ground, we stay here, a trumpet blows, we're not really sure. What does Jesus say in Luke 23? Today you'll be with me in paradise. What does that mean? It means that the resurrection is immediate. When we take our final breath, when, when we stop living, we are alive in Christ. Today, you will be with me. It's personal. So not only is it immediate, it's personal. Jesus welcomes us. We're not like sitting in the ground waiting for some special day. We're not off in space wondering when, when all the, the things happen and it all comes together for one final purpose. No, no, no. Today, you'll be with me. It's immediate. It's with Jesus. It's personal. In paradise, eternity. Wonder no longer. Jesus tells us the answer. 
We know what it means in those moments of death. But what does it mean to you and me? We're still breathing. We're still alive. We're grieving over our loved ones who have died. We think about them often. And we wonder. You know, our granddaughter died in 2014 and, and um, uh, 2013, and, and, and my, my heart still yearns. Still yearns for her. It doesn't ever go away. But Jesus says it's personal. So what about us? I think we go to Paul again, and, and Paul says, Paul says something that's really important. He says this. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worthy of comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Whatever your struggle is, listen, if, when you're a Christian, you have struggles just like non-Christians do. Some would say you have more. Paul reminds us that, that they're not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. And then he says this, drops a little further down in Romans 8. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or pandemic or presidential politics or divorce or unemployment or or homelessness. I mean, we can insert so many different words into that. He says, nothing can separate us as it's written. For your sake, we face death all day long, and we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Paul is saying, we've got to be prepared for what life throws at us. It's going to come. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who saved us. You cannot, you cannot conquer it on your own. I can't. But in Christ who loves us, we can conquer all things. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul says, whatever thing you're thinking about, it can't. But, but what about that? No, it can't. But, but this thing over here? No, no, it can't. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So Jesus said, believe in me, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, that you come to the Father through me. And that's what we need to be reminded. That's the important part. So what's heaven like? You know, we, we can read about it, we can read and listen to books, we can see articles, we can Google, we can go on, you know, people who have died, who have come back. And, and all will have stories of what heaven is, especially those that have come back and had near-death experiences. But here's what I think. I think John gave us a glimpse of that in Revelation 21. I think John was describing the indescribable. John was trying to, to put images into words that we in our own finite minds would understand. And here's what he says. He says, I saw heaven and earth new created, gone the first heaven, gone the first earth, gone the sea, and then I saw holy Jerusalem, new created, descending resplendent out of heaven as ready for God as a bride for her husband. 
He said, I heard a, a voice thunder from the throne. So this is God speaking. Look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood, making his home and with men and women. So God is not far away. God is near. God is sitting beside you. He is sitting in you. He sits with you. He is around you. They are his people. He's their God. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. And listen to this. Death is gone for good. Tears gone, crying gone, pain gone. All the first order of things gone. The enthroned continued. Look, I'm making everything new. Write it down. Each word dependable and accurate. So what do we do? Those of us that death has not yet come. What do we do? We do what Jesus says. We do what Paul has told us. We, we do what John has recorded. We live life. We live life to its fullest as the gift that God has given you. Yes, your heart tremors. Yes, your heart hurts. Yes, your heart misses. Nobody is taking that away, but live life. Love God. Because when you love God, you can live life. And when you love God and you live life, you can love others. And when you love God and you live life and you love others, guess what? The world is a different place. When you love God, you live life, you love others, the world is a different place. Things change, and God remains. Oh, what a glorious day. In Jesus' name.